Welcome to Mystery Outsiders and Apps. I'm Kevin Weir. I'm Aaron Weir, and this is a teen drama fan cast. And we got uh, we got Riverdale this week, plus a little bit of something else, I guess. This was the flimsiest of crossovers. I mean, yes. It, uh, it's their version of a backdoor pilot, I guess, for something that's coming out. Tomorrow? I think two Yesterday? days ago. I think two days ago. <laughs> Thursday. Thursday. Um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was, not, not only was it a flimsy, like, <laughs> crossover, this entire episode is tonally wild. I have a feeling, because, like, sometimes Riverdale happens, and you go on the ride that is Riverdale, and you scream, and you laugh, and yeah. the screaming is the screaming of laughter. Yeah. And you're on the same page. I think we are both going to think radically different things are wild as we recap this episode. I mean, I'm I'm sure we'll both have things that are wild. Oh, (laughs) and we will. As we go through this episode. Um, It's, it it, it really, I don't know how you feel about it. I feel like this episode feels like they had a bunch of like strand plot lines that they're like, oh, we got to do something in this episode. I guess this episode is just sort of like a bunch of stuff. It is they threw some spaghetti at the wall and one spaghetti is left. <laughs> that one. That's the one we use. That's not a spaghetti. I don't know how it got in. It's <laughs> just a penne. <laughs> There's a rigatoni over there. Why did those ones stick to the wall how and the spaghetti that, fall? How did that get in the spaghetti? <laughs> That's a fettuccine. Come on. <laughs> what are people doing in our pasta closet? <laughs> I can keep a bucket of pasta in my closet for when I need to think of something. I bowl it up, throw it at the wall. And it inspires me. Come on, it's a ravioli. That's clearly not... A, there's stuff in that pasta. That definitely should not be in your pasta That should bucket. not be in the pasta. That's just a piece of bread. <laughs> Still in the carbs, I guess, but this is damp bread. Which would definitely stick to the wall. It would. The thing when you, when you throw something at the wall and see if it sticks, damp bread always sticks. So I guess what we're saying here is this episode of Riverdale is damp bread. Well, let's begin that damp bread, I think. I see no reason to <laughs> ramble on any of anymore. <laughs> Because uh, this is Riverdale, Season 4, Episode 12, Men of Honor. Men of Honor. So the first thing we need to confirm is that this duel that was talked about will be public knowledge for Stone Stonewall. It will not be to the death. No. But it will be formal and official and oversaw by DuPont because he's the yeah. only adult at the school. And for some reason, this time in in the dueling, not in any other class, there's more than just the Power Rangers. There's other students. Well, at one point, I think we see the entire population of Stonewall and it's 30 <laughs> kids who are all in grade 12. Yeah, so. I don't know how they have a football team. So this duel will be, I guess, best of three. Because both Jughead and uh, Brett get to pick something they're good at. Yes, Brett wanted to do fencing, and Jughead wanted to punch him in the face. And DuPont <laughs> said, cool, and for a tiebreaker? And then, was it Donna? It or was Donna. Donna was like, how about chess? <laughs> and they're like, okay. Yeah, you're really, you're really like, figuring out what the trend here is, Donna. <laughs> we'll do fencing, bare-knuckle boxing, and then chess. What they should have done is they should have done that punch chess game. Do you know that one? Oh, yes. Where you do a, where you do a round of boxing and then are, then like five <laughs> minutes of chess. And you go back to the boxing. <laughs> and you go back to the boxing. But then Jughead would have just won. It's true. He would have just won. 
All right, so well, DuPont tells them they can pick seconds slash coaches slash mentors <laughs> because DuPont doesn't know what a second is in a duel. Yeah, yeah. These people are clearly role playing at this point. Uh, Brett chooses Jonathan, who is the Black Power <laughs> who is, Ranger. Who is the Black Power Ranger? Uh, so hey, there's another name we know. We still don't know who Trini actually is, but. Jughead picks Donna because she's the only person in that school whose name he knows. <laughs> yeah. Donna was a very bad choice considering Donna in the past has uh, drugged him. <laughs> but and, and attacked him and his girlfriend while wearing a rabbit mask. Yep. But he looked over at the crowd of faces and was just like, I don't know any of these people. Donna, I need someone from this school. I guess it's Donna. Can't pick my girlfriend. Moose <laughs> ran away. So it's Donna. And uh, Donna uh, is like, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, I'll teach you how to fence. <laughs> also, Brett's bad at fe- fencing. Mediocre at fencing. <laughs> <laughs> That's some real shade there, Donna. She throws a lot of shade at, uh, <laughs> at, at Brett throughout this. So, uh, smash cut to Andrew's construction, because we remember we have that set. Good for them. And uh, we find out that Molly Ringwald Andrews is in Chicago, finishing up a case. <laughs> Which, I am I am thankful they put in that line, because nothing else that happens here would make any sense if we had to imagine that Molly Ringwald Andrew was still around. So, good for them. They put away a throwaway line that's like, hey... Uh, she's in Chicago. She won't be here for this upcoming plot line. I mean, she didn't really like Frank, but she sure is glad there's another parent in town so she can continue her paid work as a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you know what? Maybe at the very least you could be a babysitter. All right. Archie cannot be left alone. He is not to be trusted. But then a man comes in. This man is Ted Bishop. And Ted Bishop comes in. There, we get a lot of just names in this episode. So this is Ted Bishop, and, and he I... tells Frank that Greg is dead. <laughs> has died of cancer. And they're like, oh, man, everyone's real sad. And Archie's like, hello, sir. Would you like to come for dinner at my house? Now, it's it's clear of, it's clear from us of, of, as TV show watchers who this man is. But the, Frank does introduce him as, that he used to serve together with him. Yeah. So, you know, army buddy, uh, because Archie is Archie, he's like, would you like to be in my house for an extended period of time? Perhaps you may live there. Perhaps you may, if you'd like, uh, just stay there forever. I like it when grown men move into my house. <laughs> well, so he's invited to dinner. And you know who's also kind of maybe having dinner? At least having a dinner table meeting. Hermione. She's not dead. She was not murdered by Hiram's lust. <laughs> Hermione has returned five, <laughs> maybe more episodes later. Hermione has returned. So Hermione and Hiram are having dinner, and it is confirmed to us that Veronica, despite being a Luna and cutting all <laughs> ties to her parents, lives in their house. Man, Veronica is the most un-like... <laughs> I don't mean this in the way that people tend to mean, but she's a very unstable person. In the, <laughs> in, fa- in the fact that, like, nothing she does seems to hold on. She's constantly changing. Well, because here's the thing. She explains to her parents that she's going to New York City for an interview at Bernard. Because apparently she didn't get into Columbia, even though... No, she had, it, it did sound like that was on a positive note. But really, when that Columbia person came over, she just, like, had an interview after they did their dance. And the Columbia woman wanted to hear her story and then heard her story and was like, what? No! She's like, why are you trying to get in for an economics degree with a song and dance? I'm mistaken <laughs> about what you want. Well, no, she didn't try to get in with a song and dance. Her dad tried to get her to not get into Columbia by revealing to Columbia that she does a song and dance. Which makes it even more insane that... 
her that's Veronica has decided to tell him where she's going and what school she's applying for. It's like it's like giving him the target. Because if there's one thing we know, Hiram likes to destroy his children's future. Historically, what we have is that he tried to get her into Harvard, essentially. Yale? Harvard. I think it was Harvard. It was Harvard. He got her into Harvard, but then she found out that he got her into Harvard, so she turned it down. And then every other school she went to, he had been stopping her from getting into. Because he's, he's ca- a good father, and he's someone that she should want in her life. Yeah, um, this, I think this show wants us to forget that happened. <laughs> well, it turns out that Hermione and Hiram will also go to New York, because he has business meetings he's been putting off, and also the mum needs to have lunch. <laughs> Well, <laughs> but don't worry, they will somehow get there together, but then they'll go their separate ways. Well, Smithers said we're road tripping, so they're going to drive to New York with Smithers. Perfect. Yeah. Hermione, not Hermione, Veronica is okay with this plan, but she does declare to her father, don't forget, New York City is my town. I I can't get these two's relationship. It feels like the show wants to be like, oh, it's complex because they're father and daughter. But I'm like, the things they have done to each other makes this conversation impossible to imagine. No, there is no going back from barring her entry to every single college she applies to. From destroying her business, from destroying every, like... From putting a hit out on her boyfriend, a hit that chased him across state lines. Uh, Is it weird that I think that's probably the least likely one to do this because it happened to someone else? (laughs) I I mean, yes, but for a normal person. He... He threatened to sue her for her rum business. She jumped, she dumped an entire thing of rum into her his car and keyed it. And now they're just like, I'm going for an interview at a college. Well, I'm having business meetings. <laughs> Speaking of business meetings. Tony sees Fang have, Fangs have so much money. Aaron, do we want to delve into this now? I don't understand what's happening in this scene. Why is Fangs getting a roll of money? Because he sold someone a tickling video. Is that what we're going with? Is that he just That's sold... That's the only thing he, it could he be. Just sold the, he just sold that guy porn? Okay, spoiler alert. Essentially, Tony's like, hey, where'd you get all that money? Are you selling drugs? And he's like, no, it's something else. Uh-huh. But it begins with someone giving him, like, a roll. Like, a roll. They have ro- it's enough money to roll it up into a wad and give it to him. Here's the thing, Kevin. Mr. Honey is a principal who knew when students were five minutes late, but in this episode will not notice grown adults wandering in and out of his school. It's not that. It's I don't understand the transaction that's happening. I mean, you saw when Kevin got paid for making the tickling video, they handed him an envelope of cash. <laughs> did this guy, did this guy like, hey, it was a good tickling video you did. I'm going to pay you at school. Well, you know, Fangs doesn't live anywhere. <laughs> I don't... Okay, this setup makes no sense. It'll continue to make no sense. But essentially, Tony's like, ah, I see money. Can I get involved? And I said no, but Fangs said yes. <laughs> Fangs like, mm, maybe you can get the gay tickling videos. You, a very feminine woman. But I mean, she can do lesbian, which is gay, tickling videos. I guess that's true. Uh, so, uh, still at the school, I guess is what ha- Mr. Honey was doing. Oh, yeah, he was too busy to notice the grown man paying a child a roll of cash. I think that was... Oh, we can't get... We can't <laughs> say on that he scene. he was fighting with Alice. We can't say on that scene. <laughs> he was fighting with Alice Cooper. She could not convince him that she alone tried to have her daughter cheat. <laughs> and so Betty is suspended. She can't For be, a week. For a week. She can't be the editor-in-chief of Blue and Gold anymore. Which means there's no more paper. And she can't go to prom. Which I guess is a concern. I mean, I guess she's just going to go to Stonewall's prom, because that's where her boyfriend goes, for now. Yeah, Um, and most especially, Brett 
has put out a restraining order. Which is the duty of Mr. Honey, a school principal, to inform Alice. And not only that, will not come up again. Despite Betty... (laughs) Constantly being in his presence. (laughs) Despite Betty being consistently around him, no one will ever bring up that he has a legal recourse to keep her away. I don't think he did this. I think he just blustered at Honey. (laughs) And Honey's like, you know what? I'll just lie to Alice and say this restraining (laughs) order. This seems like the easiest thing to do. I gotta go prank some kids. So Betty and Alice go to leave school, but Betty walks past her murder wall. Which is in the blue and gold. Yes, and see, her murder wall was for chipping, and the trail went cold. By that they mean they forgot. And Betty agrees <laughs> she forgot. Yeah, they didn't do anything with it. <laughs> They're like, I feel like we had a lot of stuff going up, but then pretty much the whole Donna thing came, and even though I was suspicious, I did something else. She's like, look, Mom, I was distracted. And her mom's like, well, you're suspended for a week, so let's do this now. <laughs> Mom, remember how, you, remember how you, have a, uh, you have a code in your brain that will make you kill me, that there's no way that is no longer in your brain? Yeah, but Betty knows what the word is now, so she can just snap her mom out of it. Man, if she ever, she has to be careful if her mom ever goes to a grocery store. So uh, Alice helps her take down the murder wall. Yes. Oh, wait, no. Uh, Alice does show interest in the murder wall, and maybe... uh... Ooh! Is this a fun team-up? It will be. Well, first, Ted Bishop tells a story about uh, F.A. Frank. Frank. uh, Saving him during the war. And Frank's like, oh, oh, I'm just lucky. Yeah, it's just, essentially it's just your classic war story of how this person's a hero and these people are. It, not a whole lot have been seen other than the fact that Archie's like, well, why don't you sleep in my house? You can stay in my mom's room. Yeah, she's on here. Sleep in my house. <laughs> Frank will live in the garage, but you sleep you, in my house. Mm, you stay in the house. I don't think Frank is in the garage. Yeah, he sleeps in the garage. Uh, good for him. Because there's no spare bedroom in this house. So Betty and Alice recreate the wall on two bulletin boards that are next to each other inside their house. Yeah. Uh, Betty apparently thinks Brett is the one in charge of everything at Stonewall. Have you ever seen a grown-up at that school? How could Betty know? (laughs) DuPont is clearly the in Quillen Skull. DuPont is kind of a bumbling old man. He's letting these boys fence and... He is now, but he wasn't before. Well, you know, you gotta let the youth step up and take over the secret societies. I, I hate I hate the fact that she is like, ah, Brett is the one in charge of everything at this school. Instead of like, ah, clearly this is part of the secret society that has killed Baxter Brothers for decades. You know, if there's one thing we know, it's Brett is in charge of everything that's going I on in the know, school right now. I know, I know it is, Aaron. I'm not angry because Betty thinks it. I'm angry because it's true. Well, you know, they can't pay more actors. (laughs) You can't have one person be in charge of the Secret Society and one person bully Jughead. They have to be the same. They have to be the same person. Duh. Well, Alice asks a question, which we will soon ask ourselves, which is, but hold on, is there a Mrs. Chipping? At which point me and Aaron looked at each other and went, is there a Mrs. Chipping? But then when we saw her... I think I've seen her before. I, the, the the problem is that I can't remember if that was her or something from the <laughs> sea. 
Well, don't worry, because we're going to be distracted for a time. Archie goes to school. You know what? Actually, I think she might have been. She cleared out his office. I think. Yeah, we did I think see her we saw her walk by, but I can't now. I can't remember if it's her or Donna. Man, this show does weird things in my brain. Donna's not allowed in his office because she claimed that they had an affair. No, I have this image of essentially Dupont, Dupont or the headmaster walking off with someone. But oh, I that even... was with Donna. That was when Donna explained that she had had, had an affair. Then who knows? Me. Well, continue. I already tried to. <laughs> Archie goes to school. Frank is going to drive Ted to the bus station, but oh no, he has an unknown caller on his phone call. It's June. <laughs> Ducky is also dead. Once again, more names given to us. How could he also be dead? <laughs> how could multiple people all, all be dead? Well, I'll tell you how. It Ted. Yes. Uh, fortunately, there is a very shiny toaster, which gives Frank a chance to avoid the knife from Ted. Because Ooh. Ted, being a terrible assassin, waits until he's awake. And also waited until he was done with the phone call that distracted him. Yeah. Uh, Ted is really bad at this, but he is good for plot reasons, because now it's time for Ted and Frank to have a little bit of a fisticuffs fight. But don't worry, Archie forgot his cell phone, so he's able to come back and smash Ted over the head with a uh, something. Yeah, and then I guess Ted runs away. Yeah, he wasn't very well smashed. Yeah, he was smacked, fell down, and then we cut back. Ted is just gone. Yeah, yeah. We're like, oh. Well, uh, we learned some stuff here. So Frank is full of apologies because this is all his fault. Because it turns out that after he got out of the army. Ted got him a job, a job at a private security firm that hires vets and doesn't ask any questions. So he was a mercenary, and he does use the term mercenary. A uh, lot. A lot. Um, to And essentially did a lot of bad things across the world. And Ted is the only one who still works for the mercenary firm. So I guess now they're setting Ted, Ted out to uh, kill former people who worked for the mercenary firm to quiet them up i suppose and what we'll explain is that ted is a robot made for killing he is a terminator at no point is he morally conflicted about killing people who saved his life in the war yeah there's no there's nothing there and this plot line seems like a look there's been a lot of wild plot lines that have popped up in riverdale this might be the wildest. This might be this. This one feels the most like really. Now you're putting in. A, now you're putting in a mercenary private. Now you're putting in like weird global cons. Not not a conspiracy. Just like. Well, no, it becomes a global conspiracy. We'll get there. Yeah. But Archie's like, oh, man, you need to tell the truth. And Frank's like, can't tell the truth. And he's like, well, maybe you need to leave town. And Frank says, no, Ted will just come here and kill everyone in Riverdale to try to get to me. <laughs> Which I'm like, that is insane. But then as we see later, maybe not insane. <laughs> maybe it's, he's right. What a... <laughs> what? What? <laughs> And so Archie's like, oh, fine, you won't leave town, you won't tell the truth, I know a guy. Don't worry, I, don't worry, this whole thing with all the mercenaries and the Terminator, I know someone who could definitely help us, don't worry, he'll know exactly what to do. And in my head, I think I know what you're talking about, but man, no. <laughs> but first, as we spoiled, just not that long ago, Mrs. Chipping comes to Betty and Alice's house. It's not really a spoiler. They say they want to talk to Miss Chipping. Well, we spoiled that she does exist. She does exist, yeah. And she does not believe in the affair. 
but she does think that he was drinking some more, and also he sure hated writing those Baxter Brother books. Oh yeah, he was uh, he was miserable. He thinks that getting the contract to the Baxter Brothers was the worst thing that ever happened to him. And she has a box of things that make no sense to her, so she's going <laughs> to give them to strangers. <laughs> now, I would like to say in that box, nothing seems expressly that confusing. Um. There's like a Baxter's Brothers book that he's put a lot of like like post-it flags in. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I. Nothing seems that confusing, but he what he did have that does, I guess, jump out is he had a whole bunch of army pamphlets. Oh, how confusing. Oh, what? And then Betty goes, wait a minute, army. But first, let's go see Archie's guy. Archie's guy. I do like how we have two seasons in a row where someone goes, wait, I know who we should go see. <laughs> the first one we go see is FP, where, man, they just want to keep layering stuff into his background, don't they? FP? Is a former serpent and also a vet. <laughs> so FP was in some sort of military service for an indeterminate length of time. I mean, he is 50. Uh, he's 50. He's had a long life. We, we finally understand why a character had kids so late. <laughs> because he was in the military. So, so, so I guess him and... No, wait. What? When did he... Okay. So he got out of school. Yeah. Went to the army. Went to the army. Did that for a long time. Came back. Came back. Met Gladys. Met Gladys. And everybody else held off on having kids till he got back, just out of honor for him. Well, yeah. They're like, you know what? we got to do this together. We've always promised. <laughs> We've always said we'd have kids at the exact same time. And now that FB's off in the war. No kids, except for Alice, who totally broke no that. Um, but FB, as a vet and a serpent, both of those things, um, and a sheriff. Uh, has dealt with ultramarine types before. Yeah, I think he just means, like, bar fights and things such as that. Uh, but, but he knows how to stop that Terminator. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> they're going to lure him out. To the gym. To the gym. They're going to lure him to the gym. Uh, really needed FP for that. Really just needed a cop. <laughs> Any cop. Any cop, I guess. So we don't get to see who Betty and Alice are going to meet, because first we need to see the first of the duels. Yes, uh, Jughead and Brett have their fencing contest, and they fence in identical outfits, which means the only way you can tell them apart is the slight bulk that Brett has on Jughead. So they have to be next to each other, otherwise. And, and you have to have DuPont explain everything that's happening. <laughs> he doesn't do it for chess or boxing. He only does it for fencing because you can't tell them apart. And because people don't understand the rules of fencing. Is that a hit? Did they just thwack him? <laughs> ah, there's no way to tell. Uh, but Brett, apparently for being a mediocre fencer, is... Better than someone who has never fenced in their life. Who has probably had a day of practice with Donna. Yeah. 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 So, that's one for Brett. In New York, Veronica meets up with Katie Keene. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> man, you, you gave it a lot less energy than this show wanted us to give it. I gave it the exact same amount of energy as they gave it. I guess. Neither one of them squealed when they saw saw each other, which seems like a grave. Veronica was just like, well, as I live and breathe. Well, no, it's of course they didn't squeal, Aaron. They are 19, they are 1800s debutantes. Um, they, their interactions are horrendous. Um, <laughs> and the thing is, the girl who plays Katie Keene is notoriously a great aunt. Actor. She was great yeah. on Pretty Little Liars. She was really good in that thing where she mysteriously survived from brain cancer. Yeah. Um, for those for those who don't know, Katie Keene is the new Riverdale spinoff show. It takes place five years in the future, so this is 
five years before she gets introduced there. She is another one of the Riverdale people who essentially they took her eyebrows and press control B on them to make them bold. That's what they've always looked like. I, I'm just, but I'm just saying that's the trend in Riverdale from Veronica to her to Sabrina. Mm, powerful, true. powerful eyebrows in the Riverdale verse. That's what girls do these days. Pi- powerful eyebrows. And then that begins the fashion montage. They're shopping at Lacey's. Yep. <laughs> and the montage is again somewhat lackluster. I, I'm, I would, and energyless. It is. Does it? Did it feel like to you that the music was quieter? Than, like, the rest of the music in the episode? It it feels like the music was like, all right, well, don't get too loud. (laughs) And they're, like, smiling, but there's minimal laughter. Yeah, it's just just Ronga trying on a lot of outfits. Three outfits. She only tries on three outfits. Three outfits. Well, Katie stands behind her and goes, hmm, yes. And then hands her a purse. Those are clothes. Those are indeed uh, clothes. Erin, would you say that Lacey's is probably slightly worse than Macy's because it comes one before in the alphabet? Yeah, it's significantly worse than Macy's. Or does that make it better? Comes earlier. More powerful. Well, the question is, if you have Macy's and you have Nacy's on one end and Lacey's on the other. Lacey's might be the better one. Lacey's, it might be more powerful. <laughs> because it's higher. Which means the strongest one is Aces. Ooh. Ooh, Aces. <laughs> you have to be invited to go to Aces. Which one day Katie Keene will be. But not today. Because <laughs> today she's still a child. A child who makes cool references like, oh, I just want this Rainbow High montage to never end. Oh, she does speak exactly like Veronica. That's a cool Evita reference there. This doesn't feel... <laughs> yeah, once again, <laughs> refer- these these two these two teens referencing things they should never be allowed to reference. Um, this if this is not a good showing for <laughs> like mm-hmm. Katie Keene for being like, you know what? I do want to see more of this person who's just Veronica, except not sneaky. Yeah. And able to cry. I want to see this loud Veronica. (laughs) (laughs) Show me more about this loud Veronica. So they decide that they're going to go into, sneak into a uh, drag club. Drag dive bar is what they explain Which I'm very disappointed. We don't see. There's no payoff. We don't see. It's just a line that like, ah, this is the kind of fun things they do. They go to to dive bars that are also drag bars. This is the most lackluster storyline ever. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> let's move to something that's not, I wouldn't say it's lackluster, but it's still weird. So, uh, Ted Bishop and, uh, Frank Andrews have their confrontation in the gym. And I'd like to point out that despite the fact he doesn't have a weapon, when Ted Bishop walks through that metal detector, it gets set off because he is a Terminator. <laughs> it does. Yes. Uh, but I guess, I guess he's like, yeah, now we're going to fight. <laughs> And he's like, sorry, dude, I gotta follow orders, which means I'm gonna murder this entire town. Yeah, once again, Ted has... No character. <laughs> no character. He is just a plot point given flesh uh, around his uh, metallic exoskeleton. Um, but he does... Cause he he walks in here, sees, uh, you know, Frank in the ring. He's like, oh, we're gonna have a boxing match to the death. And he just instantly like, yeah, okay, that's what we're doing. Boxing match to the death. <laughs> And Ted's like, or not Ted, sorry, Frank is like, you think maybe it might be hard for you to murder me after I saved your life in that story you told earlier this episode? And he's like, ah, beep, boop, I'm from the future. (laughs) You're a much worse robot than than Archie is. Archie knows emotions. You haven't learned emotions yet. That would be a good storyline, just Archie teaching Ted emotions. (laughs) But we don't have time for that, because the fight is interrupted by a bunch of grown-up serpents. (laughs) 
coming into the boxing ring. I love the fact that they went to FP. He's like, hey, FP, there's a criminal in town. And FP went, sure. We don't have any deputies, I guess. And all the ones we do have are just used by Hiram. Yeah, to do what Hiram wants. <laughs> so what is this sheriff department that's like weirdly and splintered? Anyway, he calls in the serpents, but he calls them in to arrest him. Yeah, he arrests Ted. He full, he, yeah, he doesn't come in like, yeah, now we beat you up and throw you off on the edge of town, like, you know, because we're gang members. No, he arrests him. He does his official duty. They're just an undercover escort, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. But now, but then, um, but then, uh, uh, Ted, God, there's so many names. Ted goes, oh, well, what's this? You broke the code. Now you're all fair game for me to do a murder. <laughs> Y'all fair game. <laughs> They're like, what the hell's happening? <laughs> um, uh, FP tells Ted that he has a meeting with the feds in the morning, <laughs> which is too far away. Yeah, there's a lot of times where it's like, ah, in the morning, in the morning. And that is your sign that it will not happen. Speaking of in the night, though. Oh, man. They, uh, they decide to bring in... <laughs> <laughs> a real throwback. Well, because we're thinking about New York now. Veronica used to have a life in New York, and a part of that life was Nick St. Clair. I guess that's why he's in here. Well, he's here. He's at the Maple Club, and he tells Tony... <laughs> because once again, the Maple Club is very clearly an open club for anyone to go to, so the fact Hiram has not shut it down is insane. I guess it has to be under Penelope Blossom's name. Like, that's the only way this could work. It's yeah. not connected to Cheryl and Veronica. Except for Cheryl clearly openly works there. Anyway, Nick wants to throw a Harvard bash because he got into Harvard. Because well, he... a, a friend suggested it. Yeah, he heard that this random private club in a very small town I, I kinda... was a hot place to have a party. Once again, that's why it's insane that Hiram's not like, well, that's clearly... <laughs> anyway, it and also it's all run by teenagers uh, catering <laughs> by teens for teens. Um, That's why Hiram doesn't want to go there. He hates teens. <laughs> He's like, I would love to raid that place and stop my daughter's rum business, but ugh, teens. Oh, Nick St. Clair is going to be there. Ugh. I'll just I'll just keep raiding raiding that all ages club in the basement <laughs> of Pops. The, the I was kind of thinking that the friend was Hiram and Hiram sent Nick there to mess up that place, but that's not the thing. Unless it is. No. It's not. No, he, Hiram doesn't play cosmic chess. Anyway, Cheryl sees Nick. She has some PTSD for obvious reasons. Yes. And, uh... Runs away. Runs away. Well, now we finally get to Betty and Alice and who they were talking about. This is maybe the next day. Okay, that makes sense, though. Sure. Because this person had to come from army training camp because this person... Is Moose. Yes, Moose. They ask Moose if he knows where the pamphlets came from, and turns out Chipping gave them to him. Now, Chipping also recruited him to go to the school because football. Yeah, sure. Um. <laughs> but then Chipping didn't want him to be at the school anymore. Yeah, and so it practically pushed him out. But that wasn't the only reason Moose left. He didn't just leave because people were taunting him about his dad in a very easily solved ploy. Yes, he left because Brett taped him having sex with someone in his dorm room. Which would have been, that would have been Donna then. Yeah, well, unless he had sex with a guy. Because he could have been getting around. Yeah. Um, but we know he's had, he had multiple sex with Donna. Yep. Multiple sex with Donna. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you're choosing to? Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're sticking with that. 
<laughs> and uh, Brett said that he was going to show this tape to people, but then keep it in his collection. <laughs> I do like the I, I like the concept that Brett does not think that will also at all blow back on him. Like, yeah, when people find out that this boy <laughs> has a collection of videotapes of people having sex, no one's going to be like, well, he's a like, creep. Like, don't get me wrong. It will also, because of, you know pride and all those things well also yeah uh moose we all saw you have sex uh sex is the whole um you know leaked sex tape thing um but there's no way it also wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't be a problem for brett the thing with leaked sex tapes though is those are embarrassing because you consciously made them like mm-hmm. you knew you were having sex on tape and for some people that's like why would you have sex on tape if someone films you having sex and you don't know it's happening yeah, it, I, I mean they are teens and the shame. Yeah, but this, it, it, it's different. It, is what I'm saying. It, it, no, it 100 percent is different. I feel like this. I feel like once we're dealing with the fact that this feels very teen age, of like this is like this is something if you saw in the OC you'd be like ah no I see what's going on here. But because of the scale, well, this is the same episode where we have a mercenary, a private security firm trying to assassinate its former mercenaries. That's why Archie doesn't get to have storylines with anyone else. Because <laughs> his are so high stakes now. Or so low stakes. They flipped it. Yeah. Well, um, hearing that, Betty and Alice decide that the only thing they can do is break into Brett's room, which is also Jughead's room. And Betty explains that it's not breaking in because Jug sa- Jughead said she could come to his room anytime. Yeah. Also, you you do have a restraining, a restraining order against you. Does not come up. Nope, because he comes into the room and catches them. And does not immediately say, but my restraining order. <laughs> Hold on a second. I have a restraining order against you. It never comes up. He just kind of taunts Betty about how he taped her. But if he taped her, he could make her life really hard. Well, yeah, because Betty's like, did you also videotape me? And Just because Betty is, in this episode, actually pretty smart. And I love Alice's reaction. What? Not now, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about teen sex later. <laughs> you already found my birth control. Also, also, can I just say that if we saw so we saw them getting taped yep. having sex. Can I just say the angle of that would be atrocious? Which means literally you just be like, yeah, they had sex. Yeah, you're not seeing anything. No one's seeing anyone's <laughs> boobs. No one's seeing anything. It's just yeah, they did have sex. That that couple <laughs> has had sex. See, that's the thing because Brett at one point is like, well, did he see this alleged video? And obviously he didn't show it to me. because then he'd have to reveal that his video sucks. <laughs> No one would be scared of him. It's grainy on VHSs. (laughs) Which is the main method of video watching in Riverdale right now, I guess, because everyone has a VHS player. I'm hoping that is foreshadowing, but it never (laughs) is. But Brett is scared at the door as they leave. He is. Ooh. Ooh. But also did not mention the restraining order. (laughs) Also, that's a very easy way of getting them out of your room is of doing – he's he's threatening – additionally to the already existing restraining order. Will Katie and and Veronica hang out? And Katie asks if Archie's going to come to New York, and of course he's not. No, this this just proves how little Veronica knows about Archie's life. Like, his entire plot line has been, I have to stay here. I have to keep, I have to protect this town. I have to run this community center. And Veronica's like, oh, maybe, I don't know. Although she does say that she doesn't think Riverdale would survive without Archie. That is true. Uh, we but they're lo- going to do long distance. They're going to make it work. Yeah, because Betty and <laughs> Jughead are doing that. <laughs> Look, are they? We still don't know where Stonewall is. <laughs> that, that's like a hop, skip, and a jump. They are like 30 minutes away. Uh, 
we we learned that Katie Keen has a boyfriend that she has known for forever and got together with at Veronica's quinceanera. So are they together in the show that will come up as five years in the future? Ooh, a mystery. <laughs> a mystery that'll probably be solved in the first episode. We find out that Katie Keen's mom is very sick with probably cancer. Yes, uh, it's very clearly late stage cancer because they say we caught it late. So. But she's getting treatments, and then Katie Keene cries because this girl is a good actress who can cry. Is that is is that a thing we're going to see in five years? Ooh, Katie it's Keen? a mystery. Is that going to still be going on in five years, or is the thing going to be that her mom has just died from the cancer? Who You're- knows? <laughs> I'm not sure why we're making fun of the premise of Katie Keene. We I'm, will watch it. I am not making fun of the premise of Katie Keene. I'm making fun of the premise that they that they want to do this great Riverdale cinematic universe, but keep them making shows that are five years in the future or exist in a world where magic exists, which means they cannot cross over. They can't just do like... But they already did. I refuse to believe that. Because you didn't watch Sabrina. I did watch Sabrina. I just refuse to believe that. So Frank... Uh, has decided now that, <laughs> I guess. Now that Ted has been captured by the feds and it's safe, he still needs to run away because they're going to keep sending Terminators after him. It's never made clear to us why they want to kill their ex-mercenary guys other than the fact that they're just like, yeah, let's do it. So they can't tell on them. Yeah, but it, it just feels like this is weird timing. Well, you know, in the grand Andrews tradition, he's going to run away to Canada. Yeah, maybe maybe he'll continue through Canada to Alaska, which, if this is where they keep saying it is, is across the country of Canada. It's because they don't know what's in northern Canada that would be a viable alternative. <laughs> yeah, he can't, just, he can't just go to the north of Quebec where nothing is. Go hang out with those polar bears in Manitoba. Oh, that'd be in sad. In Churchill. You don't want to hang out with the polar bears. That's very sad these days. Not in Churchill. All right, um, so he, but Archie's still like, well, you know, maybe you could, you know, turn yourself in. Maybe you can get a deal. Yeah, but he, but he's pretty sure that, you know, if he does that, they'll just put him down as a scapegoat, which I'm like, yeah, you know what, you're, if you want to do this conspiracy, um, like, mercenary, evil security private firm, that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kevin. What did you learn this week? This week, I decided to do a little bit of research about ghostwriting. Ghostwriting? Ghostwriting. The writing of ghosts. Like Jughead does, it's a viable option. It is a viable option. Many people have go- have either ghostwrit for others or just make entire careers out yeah. of ghostwriting. So, um, a lot of what I could find about ghostwriting now yeah. is about ghostwriting now so it's largely digital writing so a lot of blogging a lot of writing content for a company and then company putting their name on it yeah but generally speaking there are a couple many different forms the ghostwriting can take the ghostwriter could take a rough draft they can really edit it and expand on it Mm -hmm. they could take notes and transcribe those into an article or book yeah um they could just do like the public writing, so the author can focus on writing books, and they're writing, like, publicity releases. And, yeah. you know, think stuff about the, the, the their, author's writing. Yeah, their, yeah. Their, their email blasts and things yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, um, exactly. They could be assigned a topic and given an outline, and then yeah. they would write that in the author's voice. Yeah. Which sounds like is what Jughead should be doing. That 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 sounds like that is the, the type of ghostwriting you see when it is, like, the, what is it, the... the 
uh, assembly line ghostwriter. Yeah. Not assembly line ghostwriter, but so, you know what I mean. Um, just let me finish these and then I will. Yeah. So um, there have been times, and this is more so for articles where they're, the ghostwriter is given a title and that's all they write. Yeah. They just come up with all of it out of their head. And then very, very, very rarely they may be asked to come up with ideas, get them approved, and then ghostwrite. Yeah. And that is often posts. So the most common form of ghostwriting in the past was autobiographies. Yeah. Sorry, biographies. Well. But that are autobiographies. Yeah. Um, Celebrity books. Yeah. Although when celebrity books are written by a ghostwriter, they're usually really, really open. And they'll be like, oh, thanks for my collaboration with Kevin Weir. Probably probably because it's just better than having it be discovered that you pretended. Yeah. Yeah. And then the biggest form that ghostwriting has been taking for like over a century is series yeah series is yeah series is um eventually it just becomes too big and the first the original author either doesn't have time or doesn't have interest anymore yeah so they just keep cranking out the books typically though series ghostwriters will there'll be like sort of a pool yeah. Of series ghostwriters, and they will – so it's not just one person taking over the name, although that does happen occasionally. Yeah. Um, but it'll be like a pool of ghostwriters, and, you know, they'll come up with a draft of, like, several book ideas for the year. Yeah. And then different ghostwriters are more interested in sort of topics. So one ghostwriter might take on the books that have a little bit of a love element, and if there's, like, a political thriller element, a different ghostwriter might do those types of books. Yeah. And you can always tell when a book has been ghostwritten in a series. Yeah. Because the thank you at the beginning of the book will be thank you to the ghostwriter's name. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's also ones that aren't really ghostwriting, but it's, it's like the the people who have either because they've passed away or they're just not writing anymore, where it's like it's they, they both get their names on the title, but it's like this person writing a series by this person. Yeah. They like, like James Patterson and things like that. They hand over the mantle. Or like the last Elizabeth Peters book. They yeah. have like – it's still – written as Elizabeth Peters, but there's like a foreword that's like, hey, so Elizabeth Peters died about <laughs> halfway through writing this book. Yeah. And uh, she, her granddaughter, I think. Yep. And her longtime research partner kind of worked together to write the end of it. Yeah. Or there's like the Wheel of Time series, which was finished by Brendan Sanderson. Uh, but that's more openly like, yeah. Yeah. But it's still like he did off of his notes and yeah. things like that. Or, um, uh, uh, Tolkien's uh, son. Yes. Yeah, who recently passed away. Did a whole bunch of stuff under his dad's world. Yes, exactly. So. Compiled his notes into like Similarian or something like that. It's possible that Jughead's ghostwriting contract could be what it's shown to be on the show. Yeah. It's insane that he would write an entire book and then they <laughs> would be like, oh, we don't like the storyline. I mean, that that is insane in any context. Even if you're, even if you're like doing like in film it's very common for somebody to get told be like hey we want you to write something about this but usually they're like okay here's my idea they don't let you write the entire thing thing. then go no do something completely different and it seems unlikely that as a new ghostwriter to the series he would be in charge of coming up with book ideas exactly um once he's established he could work in collaboration with the brotherhood yeah to come up with ideas but it seems that at the beginning they're gonna be like okay you're gonna write a book about two baxter brothers finding a dead dog we said we said that we said that earlier that it's like they they give him he he's a ghostwriter right now they give him so much power for being 
Like, it's like, oh, here's this kid not even out of high school. We just gave him the keys to the kingdom. He can do whatever he wants, except that after he does it, we might not like it. Yeah. It, it would be cool, actually, if it, if it was like, uh, can you imagine if DuPont was like, uh, you know, after they did all of their um, Bachelor Brothers, you're all now going to be the yeah. person. Because we want to have 12 books out a year. Yeah. <laughs> instead of one. Realism. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's some stuff about ghostwriting. Now I'm going to read some Babysitter's Club novels, because they are pretty much all ghostwritten. So we come back in with uh, Cheryl, essentially having a, a talk with Tony about Nick and her past with Nick. And then we learned that before Tony moved to Riverdale, she also went through a sexual assault. Which is very sad, and my skepticism is not directed towards that. <laughs> my skepticism is directed towards... Before she moved to Riverdale? Yeah, I'm glad you noticed the same thing I did. I'm like, okay, so I thought Tony, I thought the entire thing about Tony is that this is where her family comes from. This is what I think. Tony lives, lived with her grandpa. Yes. No parents. Yeah. So Tony's parents moved away. Yeah. Somewhere. Yes. Had Tony. Yes. Tony went through a sexual assault. Moved Her parents became dead. Yeah. She moved home with her grandpa. Yeah. It, Which explains why she was so obsessed with the serpents and finding a home. I mean, yeah. Now, we're giving this show a no, lot. We're, oh, we're giving it so much. Because here's, th- here's the thing we should we should clarify. In this scene, it's essentially Cheryl's being like, well, she explains her thing. And Tony's in the entire line is like, I understand. I went through a similar thing before I went to, to before I moved to Riverdale. That's it. That's the entire yeah. line. That is, that is we we are adding in insanity that I do not believe will be touched on. Ever. Because this is just so that Cheryl can be like, How did you get past it? And Tony was like, with a lot of work and a lot of support. Except for that's not really what <laughs> But what I'm going to do instead is hijinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. um, hey, we go to the second competition. The bare knuckle boxing. Jughead essentially punches, uh... He one-shots Brett. Yeah. Now, I do want to believe this is more of a show on Brett than it is on Jughead, because Jughead was is never supposed to be the tough type. I do not believe oh, that. Oh, he fights a lot, though. Uh, yeah, but... He's I... always been like his dad. He's always jumping across tables and punching but people. But the problem I have is that, like, this... Like, once again, this is Archie. This thing right here should be Archie. But Kevin... Jughead was the leader of the serpents for a while. Yeah, but Jughead was is all Jughead's character thing is being cerebral, is being intelligent and but in a more tough way. But his ability to one shot out <laughs> Brett, I think, is more of a show on Brett than it is on Jughead. I think really you're just thrown off by the fact that they're both wearing shorts like nerds. No, I'm not thrown off by that at all. You're only thrown off by that. Boxers wear shorts like nerds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, because this is a morning time boxing match, some deputy comes in to get Ted Bishop for the feds, and he does a vomit trick. Yes, he's lying on the ground, and there's vomit next to him. His oil is leaking out. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but he somehow, I guess, just, like, stuck his finger down his throat? I think he just induced vomiting and lied down <laughs> next uh, to it. Him awake. Oh, yeah. He's fully awake. Back at Stonewall, everyone hates Jughead because he did a punch. Yeah, Jughead's getting <laughs> Jughead body checked in the hall. Um, and I do like everybody's real, uh, real, real front on the guy who one-shotted a dude. And someone, and that someone is definitely Brett, He's... went into his room. <laughs> and nailed a snake in the shape of an S to the wall. 
and Jughead talks to Donna, not the headmaster, which is what he should be doing, because (laughs) that's like a biological hazard. Ah, whatever. He talks to Donna, he's like, why everyone hate me? Well, apparently because Brett is Stonewall. Well, Brett stands for what Stonewall stands for, which is fake honor. And if he's not a man of honor and he can't defend himself... Can they all not defend themselves? I, this is what I want to go back to. I love the idea that they're all body checking um, Jughead in a school where he could literally just say, let's duel. <laughs> like, every single one of he's like, all right, fine, let's duel. No, he's only allowed to duel with them if they're in the Skull and Quill. Are all those kids in the Quill and Skull? No way. No, exactly. This seems like this is a Stonewall thing. No, but he's only allowed to duel... With the people in the secret society. <laughs> so secret societies do what people can do with people in the secret society. Yeah. Outside the secret society, you can do with people outside the secret society. But never the twain shall cross. I mean, this is very explicitly described in the first scene of the episode. Well, DuPont says Stonewall. But he found it in the Quill and Skull handbook. Yeah, I know. But I think <laughs> I think he just duel it when he wants. I don't think so. So uh, Betty and Alice... Uh, come up with another way where they might be able to find those videos. Which is that they're just going to sneak into Stonewall again to the Secret Society room this time. Yes, and fortunately, they know that there's one more competition. And it's one that will take a long time. Yes. Meanwhile, Archie uh, gets a call from FP about Ted while he's at school. And FP's like, he escaped! I'm confused also why Archie's at school. Well, Archie's not suspended. I guess that's why Betty's not at school. Yeah. You know, that's fine. And and Veronica took the week off. Yeah, she went to New York. <laughs> sure. What I am confused about is what time of day this is. Oh, yeah. So, Ted um, appears out of... It's, it's a very... It's the same shot that Frank gets, where he sees him in a reflection. He's over Archie just goes, Ted? Archie did not hear the door open. <laughs> I did not hear the door open. It, Ted did just you know, sneaky Terminator himself in there. And then he tries to murder a boy. Yep, it's a big, huge fight. Um, Archie eventually <laughs> pulls a pipe off the wall and stabs him in the arm. And then Kevin Keller walks in, because Kevin's in this episode. This is his first appearance in this episode. <laughs> and here's the thing, he will appear later. So did they just do this so he wouldn't just appear in that later scene? I guess they wanted to make it make sense. Because all he really does in this scene is like, he, he comes in and is like, what? And then Archie... <laughs> well, Archie smacks Ted over the head with a piece of broken sink after, or yep, a after, toilet or something. It's the um the lid of the toilet. And then uh, Archie and Kevin run down the hall. The empty <laughs> hall. There's not a single human being in the school other than Ted. No. Nope. Well, Ted's a robot. <laughs> other than Kevin Keller. Yep. Kevin Keller's the only human. I noticed at this point they gave Ted, Ted a skull on his shirt. So I'm like, oh, God, did Roberto read Archie and the Punisher? Well, Archie did fight the Punisher once. He didn't fight the Punisher. <laughs> he, ha- he, he, had a, he had a thing with the Punisher. Archie versus the Punisher. He's not versus the Punisher. He did not fight the Punisher. I'm pretty sure he did. No, the Punisher, no, the Punisher tried to save him. <laughs> anyway, Ted is not killed by being stabbed through the shoulder with a length of rusty pipe, nor is he knocked out by being hit with a bunch of ceramic. <laughs> he, gets, he gets hit... A whole bunch, and he only gets knocked out once. It takes three shots to get him down. So he chases Archie into the student lounge and does some more beating on him, and not a single human is in the school? Well, there is a human in the school, Aaron. It's Frank. 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 He came back. Frank had a gut feeling. And I give a lot of leeway to shows that do coincidences, because I think coincidences are one of the things that make stories interesting. 
This is too much. Also, why would Frank go to the... Well, I guess... Why would he turn around and be like, you know what? If, if he said, I, like, I, I felt bad I didn't fully say goodbye to you or something like that. So just be like, nah, my gut made me feel like I should come back. Or, hey, FP called me too. Like, anything other than he's like, nah, I just thought I should come here at this moment. I wish Kevin Keller had knocked out Ted. And I would have been down for that as well. Uh, we get a little bit with Tony. So I guess this is after school because Tony and Nick are in the Maple Club and Tony invites Nick to come back to a private room. Yeah, Nick's party is three dudes. <laughs> Just him and two other dudes. Maybe this is a pre-party. A scouting party, if you will. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, his dudes are not very good friends because <laughs> Tony takes him into that room and tells him to get comfy and then we cut away. Yeah. Uh, Betty... Uh, very quickly gets to the location and time of Jughead's chess match. Because Jughead is not suspicious this episode. <laughs> and she's not going to tell him, I guess, so much for their openness. Well, no, Jughead has to tell her everything. She can do what she wants. Fun. Also, she knows Jughead can't keep a secret, so... Jughead's very good at keeping secrets. Mm. Mm. He's not great. <laughs> when he gets all riled up, he just... Just shouts things. Yeah, but that's usually eventually. Anyway, so the chess match begins. And Brett tries to rile up Jughead. Brett tries to race tries to race for pink slips. He's he's like, ah, well tell you what, if you if if I win, you leave Stonewall and you give me the uh the book contract. The book contract. I'm like, I don't think Brett can kick you out of the quill and skull, but whatever. No, no, he's kicking him out of school. Yeah, but that's that's apparently the quill and skull. Apparently those things are combined. Uh, he offers nothing for what Jughead will get if he wins, so Jughead does not take this deal. No, Jughead's just like, no, we're not racing for pinks. <laughs> That's insane. We're, we're gonna do this for honor, because I'm better than you, and when I beat you, everyone will know I'm better than you. This is Jughead's cosmic play. <laughs> and you know what? Jughead knows his audience. So, uh, the chess match begins while Betty and Alice, uh, search the Cool and Skull room. It's very montage -y. Betty finds some tapes behind a hidden thing in the wall. Yep. And she sees a few of them in there. She sees Donna. She sees... She, that's the one she very much focused on to begin with, which is weird because she reaches past Forsyth. She can't see Mooses, but then... She does get Forsyths, though. It's yeah, just, it's eventually. Weird, it's weird that she's like, oh, that one, and reaches past. But this is interrupted. Because Brett has to pause the chess match, for he has a silent alarm on the Quill and Skull room. Yes, he, 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 has, he has a nest alarm. <laughs> so they all have to go running down there. And Alice hears them coming and says, Betty, we have to go fast. I, They're coming. I do like that it's clearly not on the Quill and Skull room. It's just on his... Oh, yeah, it's on his stash Because it only went off when she opened up the tapes. But he's like, no, no, it's on my... Cool and skull room. <laughs> Not on my weird tapes. I did like that Alice was like, we gotta go fast. We have to get away. And I'm like, but there's one staircase. Yeah, you're not going anywhere. And they're not going anywhere. They get caught. Yeah. Uh, Jughead, at this point, now finally learns about the tapes. And he's like, what? What? Brett? What? And Brett's like, those are my private tapes. You can't touch my private property. I filmed everyone without their knowledge when they gave their initiation he secrets. He says it was consensual recordings of their confessions. Now, at this point, Jughead says, I did do a confession. But he does not say <laughs> it was taped. Because it wasn't taped. We saw it. We it was not taped. We saw the confession, which means it clearly is not consensual taping. Oh, Brett. <laughs> Unless if there was another thing that happened, which you can't do show. Brett, you're a creep. Also, Jughead, come on. 
There were two things there. Consensual recording. Even if he did record your confession. That's, that's going to be like, ah, it was a consensual recording of him, the murder. And you're just like, well, I did murder someone. He's like, I did consent to giving a confession. <laughs> but that means I consented to the recording as well, I suppose. I maybe should have read my Quill and Skull contract a little bit more clearly. I don't know. I'm not Molly Ringwald. I'm not a lawyer. So, uh, Brett's like, so if you'll excuse me, please give me back that one tape you're holding. <laughs> And let's move the chess match into the basement. Yeah, let's not check your bag at all. <laughs> and then they just leave. And he once again does not mention the, the restraining order. order. <laughs> She's allowed to stay there. Oh, cause... yeah, she watches the rest of the match. Yeah, they moved the match to the basement. They picked up the chess ta- <laughs> the table and carefully walked it downstairs. And then they're playing. And then Jughead makes the the end of his cosmic brain move. Jughead has is done with this. He does not need to win this match. He allows Brett to checkmate him. My favorite thing of this is when he does the move is Brett going, if you do that, it puts up, puts me in checkmate. But what? what? Like, you see <laughs> you see Brett melting, and it's the, like, even after Jughead leaves, he can't figure it out. And Jughead does this speech where he's like, I don't, I don't care. I don't need to be a Stonewall man. I don't want to be you, Brett. <laughs> And, yeah. I don't need to beat you because I'm better than you. Yeah, you suck, man. I've already beaten you before. I don't care. I'm done. I'm bored. It's late. And I'm like, okay, cool. Jughead took the moral victory, which in this case... Is the greatest victory. This, like, I don't... He doesn't win the chess, but he wins against I Brett. I don't know if Jughead was punished from the beginning, but the, the speech he gave at the beginning makes me feel like this was a th- consideration he had. He was like, I'm going to see how things go, and if I need to, I'm ready. Yeah, because he's already did the speech beforehand, where he already did the, did the like, I don't, like, we're going to do this about honor. And then at the end, he got the honor. <gasps> Meanwhile, Archie gets a call. So the feds picked up Ted Bishop. That's good. They're also looking for Frank, because why not? <laughs> yeah, Archie says you should turn yourself in. Take a deal. Because, you know, my mom's a lawyer. And Frank's like, yeah, I'll do that tomorrow we'll do it first thing in the morning and Archie's like the sun's still up we can do it now <laughs> we can do it right it's it's 4 p.m we haven't even had dinner yet fp just called me they're I'll, there i'll do it in the morning here's something insane yeah here comes uh here comes an 11th hour <laughs> pitch i guess hermione Mixing my metaphors <laughs> yeah, it's not a pitch yeah it's a it's twist an 11th... reveal yeah it was on 11th hour i said 11th hour pitch <laughs> <laughs> Hermione sits down Veronica. They're surrounded by shopping bags. And she says, it's time to tell you the truth. We didn't come here for business meetings. They're not in, they're not in, I don't think they're in New York anymore. I, yeah, I think It doesn't matter where, no, actually it doesn't matter where they are. But they did not go to New York for business meetings. They went there for health meetings. Because Hiram has a mysterious neuromuscular disease that will make him very, very weak. But he can take medicine, so he might be okay. They don't know. He's very sick. Because they caught it early. And I guess this is supposed to be the combination with when Katie was like, my mom has cancer, and she's my best friend, and I'm sad, and they hug each other. So now I guess Veronica's thinking of that. If they redeem all of the (laughs) awful things that Hiram has done. Aaron, there are two options here. There's one... Hiram is making a cosmic brain play. <laughs> Which is very mean to his wife. Everybody, everybody involved. Um, or two, 
their way of redeeming Hiram is redemption through illness, which, which is the worst kind of redemption. It's 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 one of them. It's way up there as the worst way to redeem someone. Just be like, but they're sick. Also, I think One Tree Hill did this, except that when he found out that he was sick, he actually became a better person. I don't think Hiram is because Hiram does nothing here. He's not even in this. <sighs> All right. Well, hey. Let's uh, let's figure out what else is going on, I guess. Well, here's the culmination of Tony Topaz's plan, which is that she roofied <laughs> Nick. Nick. Yeah, I guess yeah. she roofied him. Yeah. But he was conscious and partook in a tickling video. Well, we, we remember when we looked up the roofies, they can send you to a semi-conscious state. So. He partook in a tickling video with yeah. Kevin and Fangs. I was just pointing out that he was conscious during the video, so yes. it's not them tickling an unconscious <laughs> man. Yeah, that would be a terrible video. The only just, reason I brought just, that up. Just tickling and he's just... Out. No, he's uh he's he's giddy. They're, he loves it. They're, they're tickling him. We see the video. But... Um, I have a question. Not like, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not on the side of Nick St. Clair. He is very skeezy, um, and very terrible. Why do they keep bringing him back just to do these punishment episodes? Like we he we already got everything out of him. Maybe there was some backlash because the last punishment was Archie punching him a whole bunch, and they were like, "We would like it for the women to get their own but I mean, revenge." The, but I mean, the thing before that was literally Josie and the Pussycats and Veronica. Yeah, I know, but they didn't get the final, and Cheryl never got to do anything to him. I yeah, but Cheryl still did, and Tony did. Yeah, but she gets to see that video. I don't know either. I imagine it has something to do with that. That's the only. I don't know this 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 plot. It didn't feel like it furthered Cheryl and Tony's relationship because everything we saw beforehand said they were already rock solid. It didn't seem to show that like Cheryl wasn't wondering. Oh, does Tony actually care about me? Because I would like to point out that Tony gives the emptiest of threats, which is never assault another girl, or I will show everyone this video. And how <laughs> will you ever know that, Tony? Yeah. Are you just going to follow him around for the rest of his life? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Tony's got not a lot going on with the big Cheryl's girlfriend, apparently. That's her only motivation to do anything these days is I'm Cheryl's girlfriend. I don't really want to talk about the storyline. It's dumb and it doesn't deserve... Do you want to talk about how this ends with all four of them watching porn together? Watching porn of themselves? <laughs> yeah! And then, Daryl, then Cheryl says she loves Tony. Happy ending! This storyline did not deserve the airspace we gave it. Uh, Archie wakes up and finds that, surprise, surprise. Frank has left behind his construction belt and also his Medal of Honor from the army from when he saved Head Bishop. Yeah. Uh, and then he has he has a talk with FP where he's like, I kind of felt like this was going to happen, but I didn't stop him. And then FP's like, well, what next? And he's like, Alaska. <laughs> what? And FP's like, no, no for he... you. Oh. <laughs> and then oh. Like, oh. No, what's next for Archie Andrews? Ah, uh, well. I would like to be a good man, like my dad, and not like Frank. <laughs> my God, I wish it was that succinct. He says, Archie, what's next What's next for Archie Andrews? And he goes, you know, my dad lost sometimes, and he won sometimes. And a lot of times he had a draw, and that seemed to be good for him. But he was always a man of honor, and I think that's what I'll be. And I want to be like, that did not answer my question at all. <laughs> what Archie, are you, are you going to college? What a what are we, how did, how does that, the lesson we took from this? What is, what is happening? Archie, I'm just wondering what adult is going to look after you until your mom comes home. What, are, what, <laughs> what, 
What what do we get out of all of that? Okay, yeah, Frank now has a paramilitary group hunting him down. And Archie wants to be like Luke Perry Andrews, <laughs> which is this entire season. It feels like this episode should have revealed, like, this speech he was giving feels like it should have been in an episode where he learned something bad about Fred. Where he should, like, it should be a moment where, like... Like the speech, the, literally the speech he gives is, "Hey, sometimes my ba- my dad won and lost, but mostly he seemed to really want to do the best he could at any moment in time, and sometimes he failed. But I want to be a man of honor like him." That is the speech you give in, in something where he learns that his dad used to deal drugs. Fred Andrews never did anything bad, including drunk driving, because he didn't do that. <laughs> because he didn't do that. Like <laughs> it's can't it's tarnish a, his it's memory. It's an insane speech to give that is very sweet, but means nothing when you look at it from the cosmic mind, which is the theme of this episode, I guess. Veronica tells her parents that she got into Bernard, and also her last name is Lodge now. Oh, Aaron, oh, I know we have to get, reach, get reach toward the end, but Aaron, that's there's so much in there. No, that's what she does, and it makes no sense. I, it does make no sense, because it begins with being like, I'm getting into Bernard, and Hiram is happy. Hiram, who up until this point in entire purpose has been to destroy every single college she applies for is like oh you got around my traps <laughs> maybe he's just happy that she outsmarted him that's all he's ever wanted <laughs> but she didn't outsmart him she told him where she was going and what she was doing and he did nothing maybe this is his i'm sick turn <sighs> well yeah because she does say like also i'm going there veronica lodge is going to bernard and yeah then they stand they don't Literally, but then they stand and clap. And they stand and clap for her because, oh, I don't know if my dad is bad anymore is still her plot line. Yeah, Veronica doesn't get other plots. No. her Every one of her plot line is based around, is my dad bad? And he, the answer is always yes. Even <laughs> if he's sick, he's still bad. He still did so many bad things. Remember when he walked into your club and smashed all of your stuff with a sledgehammer? <laughs> that was last episode. That was... Two days ago. Well, because if there's one thing we know, I mean, it's that spring break is in somewhere around four weeks. I mean, at the very least, Aaron, there's one thing we do know. He won't be able to do that very much for lo- much longer. Ooh. Ooh. Betty and Jughead. Jughead has no regrets. He's glad that he was a man of honor. <laughs> Betty goes, oh, I did steal that tape of Donna. Now, I want to clarify, at this point, they have no idea whether or not that is a sex tape. No, Betty knows. She pre-watched it. Oh, you're it. right. She did pre-watch it. Um, <laughs> the image I have is like, let's look at this tape. Could be Donna having sex. Now, she did pre-watch it, which means she did watch it without knowing if it was sex. <laughs> it's true. But at least she watched it privately without knowing it was sex. She didn't show it to Jughead in her living room. So Donna gives a confession, a confession about how she was having an affair, and she uses the exact same lines. Like, she says the exact same lines that she said when she told Betty about her affair with Mr. Chipping. Yeah. But how could she use that line to get into the Quillen skull? Well, and and she says something like, with Mr. Carter? That's what I was going to. Yeah. In her video, using the exact same lines, she says that that affair was with Mr. Cotter. Who does not exist. Yes. Betty did a research and he does not exist. So now I'm not sure what exactly we're supposed to get out of that other than the fact that she was was practiced. I feel like this is, so this was a training video essentially? No, this is, this is her confession to get into the Quillen skull. That's her initiation video. Yeah. So what this is implying is that Donna masterminded something to get in and then used the same ploy to win over Betty about chipping. Okay. Yeah, that's what that's what I was going for as well. 
Okay. What was well, I mean, because her saying that he does not exist means this was not an actual confession. Which, yeah, 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 yeah. Good, cool. Yeah. Um. Sorry, when you said training video, it was like, no, the Quillen Skull is not training her. She is the mastermind. <laughs> she is the mastermind. Once again, no adults involved. With the Quillen. What if the Quillen Skull is innocent? My God, there's an innocent secret society. It's just Donna using them. <laughs> for, for, you know what? For de- oh, my God. If Donna's another, another like, 40-year-old woman who looks like a teenager and she's been using the Quillen Skull to kill the Baxter Brother authors. She does wear a lot of makeup. Oh, they can't do it again. <laughs> you know, some secret societies are for good. Some of them are just brotherhood. Okay, nothing with the brotherhood is ever good. <laughs> well, I mean, it could just be innocuous. <laughs> But, I mean, this is Riverdale, and in Riverdale... I would love if it revealed that the Quillen Skull is just a bunch of rich people being like, we're in a secret society, and Donna is some ancient <laughs> and being. she's like, <laughs> Yes, now I control the Baxter brothers. Anyway, they were so... They are so focused on uh, Brett being the top dog. Maybe it's Donna. Yeah, Brett's too dumb to be the top dog. Uh, he videotapes people and then keeps the videotapes in the Quillen Skull room. <laughs> Once again, I still have my whole thing about uh, we can't be either one of them. That makes no sense. They've been they've been in that school for three years. Well, the only people who go to that school are people who are in grade twelve. Oh, and then we don't get a cut ahead. We don't get a flash forward. It's because what could happen in four weeks? When is four <laughs> weeks from now? What is four weeks from now? Time. We don't know. So, Aaron. Yes, Kevin. Throughout this episode, did you find yourself a CW moment? Did I find a CW moment? Did I find a moment where Logic took a walk down into the basement of a secret society room and opened up a cupboard to find what it thought were sex tapes, but was actually just drama? No, I thought you were going to do pretending to throw up in the cell (laughs) when he came in. Boo, it's drama. Drama. Um, I did. I mean, there were quite a few in this one. Yeah. But I have picked... A small moment when Katie Keene goes, ooh, are you into drag queens? Let's go to a drag dive bar. And then there are no drag queens. <laughs> that was one of my questions as well. Like, like that was just a line to send to be like, ah, oh, this is the kind of person she is. She goes to drag dive bars. She's so cool and quirky. Aren't you so excited to see her in five years? When she can legally go to drag dive bars? <laughs> just the idea. Yeah, when, she doesn't, when it's not her sneaking in anymore. You know what? Here's the thing. I will revoke that... CW moment if I watch the pilot of Katie Keene and they go to a drag dive bar. If this was a really long setup, I will revoke that moment. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Kevin, did you find a CW moment? I mean, originally it was going to be the, um, uh... Was it the the whole, like, let's go do this exciting thing and we don't (laughs) see it. Uh... It's just the most quintessential. Yeah. Um, I think I'm also going to do, once again, this is not exactly drama, but it's just, of course, this is what people do. Frank being like, I'm going to Canada. <laughs> doing the, they, they're they right on the Canadian border. Like, we're, we're, we're narrowing down where this place is. It's within an hour's drive of, not an hour's drive. We don't have an hour's drive. It's pretty close to New York. It's within a drive of New York. It's <laughs> right on the Canadian border. Frank, you can just go to Thunder Bay. You go to Thunder Bay. No one wants to go there. They won't find you. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to go to Alaska. Like, you'd be like, I'll go to Canada. Maybe Alaska. I'm like, so no place in Canada. And also... <laughs> you're on the e- you're on the eastern seaboard, and you're like, well, the only place I can go is across Canada. <laughs> also, if you don't want mercenaries and the feds to find you, wouldn't it make more sense to run away to, like, 
Yellowknife? Yeah, go to go to Nunavut. Go to any of the territories. Go to northern Quebec. Just or even just go to Newfoundland. <laughs> go to Labrador. I don't even know what's there. Rocks? <laughs> go to Newfoundland and Labrador. We have a province that has an and in it. <laughs> now, we have been to Newfoundland. Do not go to BEI. It's so easy to find it's you. It's too small. It's too small. And everything closes on Sundays. Yeah, they'll find you on BEI. But you can go to northern Quebec. You can go to northern Ontario. I mean, really, you can go to like just go three hours. Alberta, <laughs> yeah, just go three hours from the border, and you'll be undetectable. We there's so there's so much land and so few people in this country. <laughs> you could walk for days and not see a person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just a bear. Yeah, you don't have to cross to who Alaska. You don't have to be like, oh, I have to go to Canada, but I'm not going to stay in Canada. <laughs> That'd be nonsense. That's socialism. I got to go to America. <laughs> I got to make sure I stay in America. <laughs> I gotta run to Canada, but stay in America. Even if it means crossing Canada. The long, the one of the largest landmasses. With no people. No people. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stay here. Someone might find me in Iracana. <laughs> <laughs> this is our country. Yeah. <laughs> it's very big, but everyone just sort of crowds along the southern edge. Where it's warm-ish. Yeah, yeah. 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 You can even go to the capital of Nunavut. It's on an island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Equalot. He can see the northern lights. I can see the northern lights. You have you you could live in the midnight sun. It'll be great. Sometimes it's light for 23 hours a day. Sometimes it's dark for like 20 hours a day. Yeah. It'll be crazy. Crazy. You'll like it. Anyway, uh, that was Riverdale. That's another episode down. Maybe if we get a break, we'll do like the first episode of Katie Keene. Yeah, I, I honestly think at the very least, even if we can't find the time, I I I, I want to see because once again, it's so weird. There's a five year jump. Yeah, I want to see what they do. I just want to see how this, how their introduction of her character will inform will inform the, show. the five years down the road. Because it's weird to introduce someone, and be like, here's this person. Aren't you curious what they're going to look like in five years? This is where they're at now. Ooh. Ooh like, 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 you can't really, like, if, if nothing has changed in those five years, then that's kind of boring. But the nice thing is River t- Riverdale takes place at all times and no times, so we don't have to worry about the fashion being inappropriate five years in the future. Yeah, I don't really care that much about that. Because it could be 2020, but it could also be any time. Yeah. Everyone's got VHSs. What, I mean, if they're going to have, like... I mean, it has to be my mom has died, not my mom is sick from cancer. Because if they did that, they really should have in this one been like... My mom's doing great. Or like... Um, my mom just went we, to the doctor, we're waiting for results. Yeah, or or even like she has cancer, but like it's early stages. Maybe she'll get better. I don't know. I'm worried. Instead of being like, we've, we caught late stage cancer. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll watch it. We'll see. Yeah. But they'll, they'll... Don't get me wrong. There will be a... A week they take off. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. But next week, next week it will return and it is during Valentine's Day and I don't think that's where they're at in the show. Because spring break is not less than four weeks after Valentine's Day. Oh, who knows? Who Who knows? knows? Man, the amount the show wants us to forget about things. (laughs) It's always four weeks. (laughs) This this show's greatest enemy is people watching the show and paying attention. (laughs) Just stop telling us times, guys. Stop giving us time. Stop giving us relationships. Stop adding things like, oh, an FP. Of course he was a vet. Don't give us ages either. We don't want those. <laughs> oh, yeah. All these 50-year-olds <laughs> with with their 
18-year-old kids. What that was again? That's not a crazy time to have kids at an age. But just for all just of them for... to all be the exact same age and all wait to have their kids at the exact We've already talked about this. Yes. All right. Well, if you like this, uh if you didn't like this, whatever you're thinking, you should uh, get hold of us. You should tell us. Uh, you can give us a review, maybe. Maybe you watch Katie Keene, and you should tell us if we should watch it. Mm, I mean, we're going to probably do it anyways. Yeah, but, you know, we should know what we're getting ourselves into. And you can tell us that on Twitter, <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> over email, podcast MOA, podcast MOA. Warn us about Katie Keene. <laughs> be, be our future seer and tell us what the future may hold in five years' time. But no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> did we get everything in there i think so all right we'll see you next week is donna the true mastermind of cool and skull is hiram really sick what's the next play in jughead's cosmic mind game for answers to all this and more join us next time on mystery outsiders and abs a teen drama fan cast 